Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. As he said, I am Linda Campbell. I am a registered certified counseling hypnotherapist. I run a hypnotherapy school, the Horizon Center, as well as a hypnotherapy association called CASH, the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. Uh, today, I want to spend some time talking about how to support people who are grieving. And this is a very topical issue for me right now. My father passed away a week ago today. So I've been very much thinking about grief and how to address it with clients and even just paying attention to the kinds of things that are coming up for me, uh, the kinds of supports that I find useful and helpful, and the kinds of things that are actually just kind of irritating and annoying and just like a little bit off base. So I thought this would be a good topic, and I'm actually going to follow it up next week with something I'm really excited about. I'm going to be interviewing, for the first time ever on this show, uh, one of my current hypnotherapy students uh, who is also a Zen priest. His name is Eshu Martin, and he's been working as a Zen priest for about 20 years and has also been an abbot at Zen West Buddhist Society since 2004. He is the spiritual health coordinator for Victoria Hospice and is about to launch his hypnotherapy practice. So I thought he would be a great person to do an interview with to get other ideas as to how we can support a a client through loss. So this episode is going to be part one, but tune in again next Friday, 2.30 to 3, for that interview. It's going to be fantastic. He's amazing. Okay, so... These are in no particular order. (laughs) These are just some thoughts that I've jotted down as far as what we can do for somebody who's grieving. And I think really the most important thing is to meet them exactly where they are. Now, if you Google stages of grief or steps of grief or how to grieve, you're going to find all kinds of information. Here are the steps you're supposed to go through. Here's what you'll feel first or here's what you'll feel second or, you know, here's the process of grieving. And I really think like any client goal, we have to be careful to not put the client into a box, to not assume that things are supposed to look a certain way. But instead, we're doing client-centered hypnosis, after all, or at least if you're in my world, you are. Uh, Instead, we want to find out what the client's experience is like. So even if you've lost somebody yourself, that doesn't mean that you and your client have grieved in exactly the same way. You cannot assume that you know what it's like for them. There are so many emotions and responses and reactions to having lost somebody that it can vary dramatically from one person to the next. So, for example, let's say you have a client who had a very abusive parent. Maybe they feel a sense of relief at that parent being gone, as opposed to somebody who was very, very attached to their parent and had wonderful experiences and maybe wasn't ready for that person to leave. That might elicit sadness. Somebody else might have anger at a parent being gone because 
maybe there was something incomplete, something unfinished, and now they're angry at not having the opportunity to sort of close it with them. Or maybe they're angry at the universe or angry at God for having taken somebody that they cared about. So there can be a variety of different responses. One of the things that I've been sort of, I don't know, uh, (laughs) weirded out by, not really weirded out by, just kind of like interested in, let's, let's put it that way, is the responses that I've been getting from people when I've told them about my father passing. Um, the ones that I appreciate the most are the people who are saying, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. What can I do for you? You know, I'm here for you if you need anything. Those ones to me feel like the ones that hit it most on the head for me. But there's a lot of things that people have been saying that I really want to classify as what not to say. (laughs) So, for example, I know how you feel. Uh, Even if somebody has lost a parent, doesn't necessarily mean they feel the same way as I do. We have unique experiences and unique backgrounds and unique relationships. And so telling someone I know how you feel assumes that you know what their experiences are, that you know what their relationship has been like, and you just don't. Uh, Things like it's God's will, or he's an angel now, or he's in heaven, or it must have been, you know, God needed him in heaven instead of on earth. These kinds of sort of pseudo-religious spiritual comments, um, when we're working with clients, we want to be working within the client's belief system, not imposing a belief system on the client. So that's number one. You might believe in God, but your client doesn't, or your client uses universe and you use God or vice versa. As a client-centered hypnotherapist, you need to be in the world of your client, not imposing your ideas or your philosophy on the client. So saying something like it's God's will or he's an angel now to a client who doesn't believe in God or angels feels really um, inappropriate, not to mention the fact that it trivializes the person's experience. It's like dismissive to say it must have been God's will or you know, his time here was up. What a person really needs to know is that they're supported. And when you say, well, I guess it was God's will, it shows sort of a lack of support, a lack of empathy for where they are. Saying things like, you must be devastated, or you must be heartbroken, or you must be sad, or whatever. (laughs) Whatever comes after the you must be also, again, makes an assumption about what the client's experience should be like. Uh, I've said earlier, there can be a wide variety of responses to somebody losing a family member or loved one, and what you might feel could be totally different from what they might feel. So don't make an assumption about how they must feel. Another comment that I find really grating is, you know, anything that starts with at least. At least he's no longer suffering. At least you had all that time with him. At least you got to spend Christmas together. At least blah, blah, blah. Again, there is no, how do I describe this? There is no thing that can come after the at least that eases the person's suffering. At least he's at peace now. Oh, thank you. That makes it feel so much better. It trivializes the person's experience. It demisses dismisses the person's experience so don't offer any at least Uh, to say something like this will pass or this is temporary or you'll get through this or you need to move on 
those kinds of comments as well, they're kind of placating, they're kind of suggesting that maybe the person should be, you know, getting over it, moving on. Um, You know, I know a lot of these things are intended to be helpful, and people don't really know what to say when somebody passes. We're all just trying to reach out and support one another. I'm just kind of giving you a heads up, particularly when you're working with a client, some of the things that that could just land not very well with your client. To tell them you'll be okay or this will move on may actually not be a truthful statement. I actually get really irritated when I'm going through something and somebody tries to soothe me by saying, it'll be okay. I want to say to them, how do you know? How do you know? Can you look into a magic crystal ball and tell me what's going to unfold in my life in the next one year, five year, ten years? You don't know that it will be okay. Uh, I was talking briefly to Eshu about my father passing last week, and he described grief being like an orbit. It kind of comes near you, and then it moves away, and then it comes back again, and then it moves away. And so, you know, grief can revisit you. For example, a a person might lose a parent early on in life, and then when they become a parent, they might begin to experience that grief once again because now they're in a parenting role, and it kind of triggers the feeling of having lost their parent. So there can be different experiences, different occasions. You know, an anniversary of a death can bring something up again. And so to tell somebody this will pass is actually an untrue statement. It may not pass. It may be something that continues to linger for a great deal of time. And so what kind of things can you say? Well, we're in a therapeutic position, and so we want to find out what can I do for you? <laughs> you know, what would be your ideal outcome of our working together? What is it that I can do to support you in this? Um, what is this like for you? Instead of assuming what their experience is like or what they must be going through or what stage of grief they're in, how can I support you? What is your experience like? Finding out from them what they need. Okay, so some other things. Um, there have been a couple people who have uh, approached me a little bit tentatively, like they're not quite sure what to say or what to do. And um, when I'm doing okay, which at this point I am, I'm getting some people who are kind of poking at that a little bit. Are you sure you're okay? Are you sure that the feeling that you're supposed to feel is not just buried down so deep you're not in touch with it? Maybe you're in denial, poke poke. Don't say stuff like that, okay? Um, Meet a person where they are. If there's something that's going to come up for me later, I'll deal with that then. But again, to say maybe you're just in denial, maybe you're not feeling what you're supposed to feel is to deny my actual experience. Don't make the client question if they're doing it right. Allow them to just experience whatever they're experiencing in whatever way they will. Uh, one thing we can do for a client is really normalize their experience, normalize grief. We pathologize so many things that don't need to be pathologized. If you love somebody and they were in your life for a great deal of time and suddenly they're gone, it's normal for a person to feel upset or depressed or sad or angry or any number of emotions. That's normal. That's not a dysfunction. That's not abnormal. That's not this person having a a bad reaction. That's what your body is supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to process uh, a loss of any kind. It would be stranger if somebody felt nothing, right? So if the client is angry, depressed, sad, hurt, whatever their feeling is, let them know that it's normal. There are many different ways to grieve. There is no right, no wrong, and that their experience is uniquely their own. I think it's also important, too, to pay attention to 
if the client has received any messages about what they should do, what they're supposed to do, for example, I had a client some time back who felt like she was grieving wrong because somebody had asked her if she cried yet and she hadn't cried and didn't really feel the need to cry. And then she started thinking, well, is there something wrong with me because I haven't cried? And so she came to me actually wanting me to help her feel more. But when we talked about her experience, it was her father who had passed away as well. When we talked about her experience of losing her father, he had actually been sick for a really long period of time. She'd taken time to talk to him and to, you know, kind of do whatever closure needed to be done with him. She had a spiritual belief that people don't really ever die, that we, you know, become something else. And so she would see him again at some point and was actually in a pretty solid place in her life. So the fact that she hadn't cried wasn't indicative of her doing something wrong or there's something missing from her grieving. Maybe she had come to terms with it. Maybe she was at peace with it. So pay attention if the client has received messages from somebody else about what they're supposed to do. You know, maybe you should move on now. Uh, Maybe you should get rid of the person's things. Maybe you should meet somebody new. (laughs) Uh, Again, it should be up to the client to decide what comforts them, what feels supportive of their process, what they feel guided or drawn to do. I was listening to a video uh, a couple of days ago about grieving, and the person who did the video said that he was told by a family member or something when he lost his wife that for every picture of her that he took down, this family member would give him 50 bucks. Like, what? What is that? So I guess this well-intentioned, maybe, family member was encouraging him to move on by putting away reminders of her. But maybe somebody wants to have reminders around. You know, we don't have to rush to get rid of somebody's belongings just because they're no longer in our lives. Um, Maybe those belongings are symbolic of, of something else. Maybe we need to have that support. Maybe we need to have that comfort. So if your client is conflicted because they've been told something they should be doing as part of processing grief and they're not doing it, they're not compelled to do it, make sure, again, to normalize their experience. We don't need to force somebody to do something that doesn't feel natural for them. I mentioned earlier as well people having this kind of tentative approach to me. (laughs) There's been a few people who have kind of reached out, you know, in a message, I hope you're okay, da-da-da. But when I've actually said, hey, why don't we have a coffee, there's this kind of like, you know, crickets in the air. I think people are nervous to spend time with me. Maybe they think I'm going to be, you know, in tears or they don't know what to say or I'm not really sure what's going on there. So what I would say is don't avoid people. You know, don't um, be tentative around them. Let them know if you need anything, I'm here. And if they reach out, (laughs) be there for them. Don't offer support and then not actually deliver on that offer. This isn't necessarily me, but consider it this way. What if somebody has lost an important person in their life and now they're feeling alone, they're feeling sad, they're feeling like they need connection, and you offer connection, but then you don't follow through on it. Now they feel more alone and more unsupported and more isolated. So what I would suggest, instead of being afraid, instead of taking that tentative approach, reach out, leave it up to the person to reach back, but actually be there to support the other person. Now, this is more, you know, not in a therapeutic situation, but even in a therapeutic situation, if you have a client who is dealing with grief and they come to see you, maybe they do a consultation, a few sessions, 
follow up with them. Make sure that they're okay. Make sure that they're not uh, stuck in some isolated place by themselves without any support. Let them know that you're thinking about them. Let them know that if there's anything else you can do for them, that you're there. Uh, Another thing that I think is important, and again, this kind of is non-therapeutic situations, but it bleeds over into therapeutic, not silencing people, not stopping their tears, not trying to placate them. Uh, Why do we do that? When somebody's crying, why do we offer them a tissue and try to tell them they're there, it's okay, dry your eyes, you'll be fine, because we feel uncomfortable with their display of emotion. Sometimes people have a lot of emotion inside them that needs to be expressed, and it may come out in venting, it may come out in anger, it may come out in crying, it may come out in shaking or shivering, and this is the body releasing that pent-up emotion, and this is a really, really necessary and therapeutic thing, whether it's grief we're working on or any other goal the client's coming in for. Uh, I so often see people kind of step in with a Kleenex and try to calm the person way too quickly. That emotion needs to be released. Emotion is energy. If we don't release it, if we don't express it, if we don't let it out of our systems, if we just shove it down inside of ourselves, it's going to be there later. It's going to wait for you. Whatever we don't deal with right now waits for us. It comes out later. So don't be too quick to silence somebody. Ask them, tell me more if they need to talk about the person or they need to talk about the experience. If somebody's crying, be with them. Get comfortable sitting in silence with people. We also have a difficult time with silence, don't we? And as a therapist, this is an, an important tool to use. When there's quiet between ourselves and somebody else, we feel the need to step in and fill it. Watch what happens when I create a pause here. Now, what happened to you during that pause? I mean, you knew there was going to be a pause, so maybe you just politely waited through it. There's an Alanis Morissette song, something about she puts a pause in a piece of her music, and then she said, did you think about your bills, your death, your deadlines, and something like that? When we have a pause between ourselves and somebody else, we, again, can be uncomfortable with that silence, not sure what to do, and we jump in and fill the silence. When, in fact, a pause may be an opportunity for the client to process. It may be, the client, it may be an opportunity for the client to just sit with what they're feeling, and that can be so necessary. So when you're working with a client, if they need to talk, let them talk. If they need some time in silence, let them be in silence. If they need to cry, let them cry. Create a safe space where they can explore anything that they need to explore that's going on for them emotionally, physically even. Don't be so quick to move them along. Now, there are some situations where there may be something to work on. Like right up to this point, I haven't really given you anything we could work on, right? It's more about supporting the client where they are and being respectful of their process and recognizing that the process is going to be different for everybody, not having any expectations about how it should go, removing any expectations that have been placed on the client. But there may be times when there is a problem that needs to be worked on. There may be a belief, for example, that's keeping the client from moving forward. For example, I have to grieve in order to prove I care, right? If I allow myself to have a good life, if I allow myself to get over this person, if I allow myself to move on or meet somebody new or or even smile or laugh, 
I'm somehow saying I didn't care. I'm somehow saying I didn't love that person. I, I'm somehow showing I wasn't committed. And I've seen this with a few clients who have lost a partner that they've been with for a length of time. And it's almost like on a subconscious level, they're, they're not allowing themselves to move forward because it seems disrespectful in some way to the person who's passed. So one of the things I'll do for that client in hypnosis is I'll have them imagine the deceased person there as they were in life, you know, at their best. And I'll say to the client, imagine that your partner could turn their attention to me. I want to ask them a question. And I want you to show me with a nod or shake of your head their answer to this question. And then I'll ask, would you want so-and-so, the client, to move on and have a good life? And inevitably, the client says yes. You know, if the person who was passed could weigh in on this, they probably would want the person to move on and have a good life. And so that's kind of a, a sneaky little trick, a, a gentle little trick to get the uh, client, give the client permission to move on. Another belief system that might be going on is I don't, I don't deserve to feel better. And sometimes we see this with survivor's guilt. You know, it should have been me instead of them. Why did this happen to them? You know, they were a good person. I'm the one with all the flaws. It should have been me. So if there's a feeling of not deserving to feel better, not deserving to move on, then there's some work that we could do in there to help that person resolve whatever that's about. There could also be some secondary gain or hidden agenda around grieving. So, for example, my grief gets me attention. When I'm grieving, all of these people are coming out of the woodwork to love me and support me and pamper me and nurture me, and I don't want to let that go. So I need to continue with my grieving in order to have these gains that I'm getting. Um, and it's not as though a person is doing this consciously. They're probably not even aware of this, right? They're not going to come in and say to you, I think this is what's going on. But if you get the sense in working with your client that they're holding on in order to get some of the benefits or some of the perks or whatever it may be of having that grief, then there's an area as well that we could work on. What is another way to reach out and make connections and, and get love and support without having to carry on with your grief? And then, of course, there's things like a, a client could possibly be self-medicating in order to not feel or in order to feel differently. So is the client overusing drugs, alcohol, food, any substance or behavior can be used as self-medicating. I mentioned earlier that emotion is energy. It has to go somewhere. And one of the problems that I see, not just with grieving, but it can happen with anger and anxiety or, you know, childhood events that we couldn't process, that we couldn't speak about, that we couldn't do something with. When we have an emotion that we are unable to express or unable to process and we shove it down inside of our bodies using some kind of substance or some kind of behavior, again, it kind of festers there. It looks for a place to sneak out. I use the analogy of trying to push a beach ball underwater. If you try to push a beach ball underwater, it takes a lot of energy and strength to keep the beach ball submerged. And when you're not paying attention, when you let up for a little bit, that beach ball will just shoot out in the exact opposite direction, which is why you see people, you know, breaking down when they see the tampon commercial on TV or getting angry at the person in traffic in front of them. They've got this unprocessed emotion, and for a moment, it, it zapped out in, and, you know, affected some other situation that wasn't even related to the original emotion. So when we don't process grief, it's going to come out at some point. It will not just go away, 
because we're covering up or pushing it down. And so when it comes to somebody self-medicating, kind of gently helping them to sit in the feeling, building up their belief and their capacity to tolerate it, helping them to recognize that there may be things that have gifts that they're getting from grief. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Helping them to be comfortable with discomfort. (laughs) Our bodies know how to handle grief, right? There have been people dying as long as there have been people living. You know, this, this loss is not the first time there's ever been a loss. And just like our body has an immune system, I think the psyche has an immune system as well. So we know how to make it through bad times. If we couldn't experience a bad time, a loss, and bounce back, then we would have died out as a species a long time ago. And so helping people to sit with that feeling, helping them to be comfortable being uncomfortable, helping them to process the emotion so that they don't have it stored within them forever, helping them to let go of whatever act of self-medicating they're using so that there is space to sit in that emotion. And then, of course, if somebody is unable to do daily activities because their grief is so overwhelming, there may be some work to do there. We may be helping somebody to have an appetite or to sleep better or to manage their emotions or to go about their daily activity to have the energy and the the stamina, the drive to do the things that life expects of them. So there may be areas to work on there as well. Another area where there may be work to do is if the person has some unfinished business with the person that they've lost. So again, sometimes there's something we always wanted to say, something we always wanted to hear, (laughs) but we're stuck now in this holding place because we're never going to be able to say it and we're never going to be able to hear it. And so we're just in limbo. Well, one of the great things about hypnosis, the subconscious is illogical. So it doesn't understand the difference between something real and something imagined. So we can take the client through a process where they have the opportunity to say what they needed to say to their loved one and to hear back what they needed to hear back, to do whatever closure is necessary. I actually had this experience myself about a week before my dad passed. I was away at a retreat, and we were doing this breathing exercise that kind of takes you into a deep meditative state. And I imagined bringing my father in, and I basically said to him that we had no other business to finish. I have a philosophical belief that we have contracts with the important people in our lives, with everybody in our lives. We come here to have experiences with other people in order to be able to grow as as spiritual beings. And that no matter how frustrating or how um, mystifying some of the experiences with my father may have been, that they were actually orchestrated by me and by him in order for us to both have experiences we needed to have in order to evolve. And there are things that come up for me from time to time, not just since his passing, but prior. But I look at it as, you know, those None of us are going to make it through life without being traumatized and without traumatizing some other people. We can be like bulls in a china shop. Even if we're well-intentioned, there are going to be times where we impact on somebody else. And so there will be things that come up as a result of my relationship to my dad or my dynamic with him or interactions we've had, and I'll deal with those as they come up. So it's not about just giving myself a spiritual bypass. Well, I believe that we are contracted to do this work, so therefore I don't need to feel anything. You may leave. It's not that. It's more I don't need you to stick around 
in on the earth in you know your meat suit in order for us to do any closure i am willing and able and well supported to do whatever work i need to do around whatever arises from our relationship so it doesn't need to be handled between you and i and so this breathwork exercise that i did i brought him in i told him that i was ready to let him go i told him that you know, our contract was complete for this lifetime. I told him that I have lots of support in my life. I have great people in my life. I have people to process with. I know tons of therapists and hypnotherapists that if there is something that comes up for me, I can deal with it. I'm okay. I can take care of myself. I know how to ask for help. I thanked him for all of the things that he's given me, all of the parts of myself that I recognize as coming from him. My father was entrepreneurial, as am I. He had a good sense of humor. He was witty and funny, and I feel like these are attributes he passed on to me. I thanked him for having been a great grandfather to my son, better grandfather to my son than he was a father to me. I thanked him for some of the things that he taught me. He taught me how to hunt, and he taught me how to fish, and he taught me how to drive a car. And I told him that I would take care of my mom and, again, that we were complete. I was ready to let him go. So it is possible to do these types of exercises in hypnosis where a person gets a chance to finish off anything that was incomplete and maybe even to hear back from the other person things that they needed to to feel more resolved. So I hope this gives you some ideas as to things that you could do with a client to help them with their grief. And really, it's just about creating a supportive environment that gives the client the freedom to experience it however they need to. And again, please tune in next week when I interview Eshu Martin. It's going to be a fascinating interview. The guy is a wealth of information. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a great week. Okay, take one. <laughs> with correction with Campbell. 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 The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and leather blood. <laughs>